Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Conversations from the Diaspora, a Building Africa's Future podcast. If you're new here, we are so glad to have you. My name is Nkiru, and I'm your host, your sister and your friend. If you're returning, welcome back, family. This podcast is primarily centered on the experiences of African immigrants of the millennial generation across the African diaspora. So grab a seat at the table for this discussion. And while you're here, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, share the link with others, and follow us on social media so you can join our online community. I would love to get to know you, so please leave me a voice message to possibly be featured on the show. You're more than welcome to be our guest, and we would love to have you on the podcast. All links can be found on our link tree. That is linktree forward slash building Africa's future. And I'll catch you after the episode. Happy listening. Hi, guys. This is Ndu David, and I am excited to be joining my sister and Kiro on this episode of the podcast. We will be sharing about my experience working and living in Saudi Arabia, and I bet you want to catch up on that. Saudi Arabia is an interesting place that a lot of persons have been misinformed about, so I can bet you don't want to miss any bit of this conversation. So sit down, relax, and let's have fun together. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another conversation from the diaspora. It's a Building Africa's Future podcast. As usual, I'm your host, your sister, and your friend, Nkiru. And today I'm joined by a wonderful friend of mine. We've been friends for a long time now. He's, his name is Dr. Ndebusi uh, David, and he is a Nigerian optometrist living and practicing in Saudi Arabia, where he's been residing now for nearly two years. Um, outside of his optometry work, he has a passion to see people excel in their marriages and relationships and as such provides relationship counseling and coaching to help couples navigate all aspects of relationships and the associated challenges that may come with that. He is a proud husband and father, and today we'll be discussing um, a little bit about some of his experiences so far to that regard. So, Indu, if you can please say a quick word of hello to our listeners and our viewers. Hello, my name is Indu David, and it's really beautiful being in this episode, really. (laughs) I love talking about Saudi Arabia and... uh, I love talking with Kiru, like very interesting person to talk with. At any point in time, like really sweet to talk with you. <laughs> Thank you, Indu. So, so you all once again, we're going to be talking about um, Indu's experiences, kind of navigating life in Saudi Arabia. And um, as you all know, the podcast is centered on the experiences of the African diaspora, wherever we may find ourselves. So, he's currently living in Saudi Arabia, and. That's a you know a place I don't know too much about, and I know Indu, you've told me you know in our previous conversations that there's a few things that are a little bit sensitive. So I know you can't go into a lot of detail, but we just kind of love to uh, jump into the conversation to learn more about your experience so far and your family and everything else like that. So Indu, I mean I know you know you and I have had lots of conversations behind the scenes about traveling, and you know prior to you even making this move, I know. You and I kind of went back and forth and I kind of told you my opinion and, and everything like else like that. And I, you know, obviously now you and your family are there and I'm pretty sure it's been an interesting journey. So I don't know much about Saudi Arabia. I know you've told me, you know, that there are certain things you can't speak about. And I know, you know, for many people in the, in the diaspora, money is a motivating factor. But like, what are some other reasons, like maybe to encourage this move at this time and and with your family? Because I know it's not always easy to travel with the, you know, the a young family. You know, I don't like missing words about it. 
money. That's just one word for it. Money is the motivating factor. <laughs> because really, I I love Nigeria. I love Port Harcourt. You know, I think around 10 years ago, nine years ago, we we're talking about Nigeria. And, I, I, and if you can remember, I didn't think anything was going to make me leave Nigeria. Like, I, I, I thought I was the one who was going to stay back and make Nigeria work. And, but you have dreams, you have beautiful dreams, you have things you want to do in your community. But like, you can't really do those things without money. You can, but it will take a longer route because you will need to have to source funds, you know, have to go, go the whole process. So you really need money to facilitate whatever it is you have in your head that you want to do. I love the organization I was working with in Nigeria. I didn't want to leave. Like there were many emotional attachments to Port Harcourt. There are still many emotional attachments to Port Harcourt. So for me, the only reason that would have made me to leave Nigeria at the point when I left and uh, made me to leave Port Harcourt at the time when I left would have just been money. This is just keeping it straight. That is money. Nothing else that made me to leave. <laughs> Nothing else that made me to leave, really. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, and trust me, I understand that. I know, you know, again, that's the typical immigrant experience. Many of us, we wouldn't want to leave our home countries if things were working perfectly fine. You know, people do leave because of greener pastures. But um, why Saudi Arabia? Because it's not a place that I would say many people, you know, desire to go to. I don't know if you can speak to that. Okay, you know, when if you want to move, you're looking at um, what are your options. So at the time I wanted to leave, if I'm going to live to anywhere, I'm going to go to where I'm needed, right? Everybody wants to go to where they are needed. So I had to start applying for jobs because this is one way that I can live. If I have a job somewhere, then I can live and say, okay, I'm going here to work. And I think it's also an easier route if you already have a job and you're not the one bearing the cost of moving yourself. Like for me, coming to Saudi Arabia, I wasn't the one bearing the costs. I have a job. The company that um, gave me employment, gave, um, facilitated, facilitated my visa and brought me down here. And it also made it very easy for me to settle in because a company was bringing me in. They are responsible for me. And I think that's just it. Okay. I'm pretty sure maybe your wife probably had some, some of her reservations, um, you know, as far as you moving. I can imagine, you know, if my husband were to tell me, hey, well, let's, let's move to, you know, Saudi Arabia, I might say, uh, maybe not. <laughs> so, like, I guess, how did she view it initially? Like, what did she think? And what did you think prior to you moving? Like, any expectations? Not just my wife had um, a lot of reservations. Everyone I knew Everyone I knew had reservations. My parents had their reservations. Um, I think just everyone, about everyone had their reservations about moving to Saudi Arabia. But looking back now, I think my wife <laughs> can see that um, so many things are not the way they seem. These are always, always the way they seem. I know somebody was telling me, I know there's a sister of mine who was telling me that, ha, ah, Saudi Arabia, I heard that if you get there, they are going to force you to convert to Islam. People <laughs> have a, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of wild thoughts about Saudi Arabia that I can tell you for sure 
are not true. They are not the true state of how things are. You know, when my wife was coming to Saudi Arabia for the very first time, because I left before her, when she was coming for the very first time, she was telling me that at the airport, she was sitting close to this guy and she, they had a conversation and she told the guy she was going to Saudi Arabia. Then the next moment, the guy was calling someone else on the phone and was telling the person that um, he's sitting next to a lady who is going to one of those God-forsaken countries. <laughs> you know, I bet, I, I wish, I wish, I wish he knew, I wish, I wish he knew that Saudi Arabia is really super developed, more developed than people think in their heads and, um, you need to be here to know, and people think that there will be a lot of restrictions. I don't know. Maybe there used to be a lot of restrictions in the past. Right now, it's a lot beautiful. You know, one of the fears that people had when my wife was coming also was that she would not be able to wear all the clothes that she has. Um, she would need to be wearing um, a buyer like a Muslim woman all, all her stay in Saudi Arabia. But it's not true. She came in here and it's so nice. She dresses the way she dresses even when she was in Nigeria. I know that doesn't mean that someone have to maybe, I don't know, dress weird. But for her, even in Nigeria, she has been a moderate dresser. So she dresses exactly the way she loves to dress even while she was in Nigeria. And I think that makes her happy. That's, but that's not the idea that many persons have out there. Some people think maybe there's a calm down, you can't. Yeah, maybe in the past there used to be that. I don't know, maybe before we came here, people, and yes, even after I came here, people were saying things like that. But I've spoken with Saudis who told me, no, these are not the way things are. You no, know, I I know Saudis who don't wear abaya, who don't wear the niqab and cover just the way the traditional way that they cover and i asked someone one day why why not i never knew she was saudi we just had a conversation i asked her she said she was saudi i said you're saudi how come how come you're dressed this way she said that this is not really like um it's a cultural thing yes but it's not a law that you must dress this way there's no law that says you must dress this way you must wear um, a buyer and niqab. There's no law like that right now. That that law no longer exists. What exists right now is very cultural. If your father, if the head of your family permits you to dress this way, then no one is going to stop you from dressing this way. But if your father does not permit it, for, but for her, her father doesn't have problems with her dressing the way she's dressing. So she's free to come out this way. So. These are part of the misconceptions that people have out there. Maybe if, because they have idea of what it has been in the past. I don't know. Right. I was not here at the time. But right now, Saudi is a beautiful place that I think anybody would want to stay. This is just straight how it is. Nice. Yeah, thanks, Indu. And I, and I can appreciate that as a person who, you know, loves, you know, global affairs, international studies. You know, that's my, you know, my background. So I can appreciate the fact that, you know, traveling obviously opens your eyes to different parts of the world that you ordinarily wouldn't have experienced. Um, you know, all those perceptions and stuff. Once you get there, you see, you know, what life truly is like. So I love the fact that you and your family are getting to see uh, Saudi Arabia in a different light where many of us might not, you know, kind of yeah. view it from. So that that's really important. Um, and, I, I, and really, 
Go ahead. Okay. It was also very easy for me because from on my part, I didn't have a lot of fears. Not because there, there will not be a lot of fears when you want to go to somewhere new, but because I already had some friends who are living in Saudi Arabia. So we've had, we've had conversations, they've shared with me how life is. So I think it was pretty cool for me wanting to come over, right? Yeah. And even some things that they said, like when I just got into Saudi Arabia, some friends, some Nigerian friends were telling me, see, now you're here, um, please, it's don't even look at any Saudi woman, don't even look at them, don't, 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 don't look at them. When you see them, just keep your face straight and just be walking. And really, I, I believe that. <laughs> so whenever I see a lady, I'll just be looking straight. I can't even turn to maybe look at who she is or... But now I get to see that. That was, I don't know, I don't know what, how to describe what it was like believing that you can look at someone. You can actually have conversations with um, Saudis, the ladies who work with them in the office. You can have conversations with them, but you know you have to maintain that cultural boundary. Right. You don't have to overstep your boundary, but you can sure have conversations with them just the way I'm having conversations with you right now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and what you said is so true. Unfortunately, many people, because of their own fears, they like to project it onto others and it can really limit you, you know, when you're trying to make a move. But I'm happy that you decided to do this for yourself and for your family. And, and it looks like it's paying off so far. So that's awesome. Um, so Indo, I guess for my next question, you know, obviously moving to a new country um, can be challenging, especially um, by yourself. And, and of course, you know, with a young family, young growing family, so what would you say, like, what are some of the adjustments or the biggest adjustments that you've had to make, um, you know, by yourself and also with your family, you know, when you all, um, when you first arrived and when your family arrived, like, what are some of the adjustments that you've noticed? Really, there weren't very, very massive adjustments. The first real big challenge that I had as a person was moving without my family at first moving without my family was not very easy for me to navigate because we've just been married for two years, just a very young family. We've been married for two years before I left. And in, in those two years, we have not stayed for 24, for 48 hours without seeing each other. Like, we are always together. I don't get to travel. We don't get to travel generally. Even if she's going to her parents' place, it's, I get to still see her within the week. Like, I can literally have to go there every day after work, see her before going home. So being apart for, I think the, the very first time we were apart for more than one year, more than one year. And at the time I left, my son, we already, we had a son and my son was already, was just, um, was just 11 months old. So having to leave my son at that point in time, that's, that's not, the, that's not the, the plan I had for family. I had told myself that I want to be in my son's life every day of his life. I want to watch every aspect of his growth, of his development. I wanted to be there for him. But having to be away, it's, 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 it wasn't very easy for me to navigate, but we had to do it. And there are very emotional moments when he doesn't understand FaceTime. He doesn't understand that we have to to, to, to talk on video. So when he sees a video call, he's believing that he's talking to his daddy. 
So if he has biscuits, he wants to give them, give them to me. He wants to pass something across to me. So daddy, take. And I feel very emotional that I can't just reach out and grab that from him. You know, so for me, that was um, a really big one. Then also missing um, the community at home. We, we, we are really connected to our church family at home. We have this community in Port Harcourt that we, we, we had young people around us who we ministered to having to leave them behind and okay, wasn't it? Then also when I got here, one major challenge I had was also the Arabic language, having to learn Arabic language because I don't understand so much Arabic right now still, but at that moment I got here, communicating was very difficult because almost everybody speaks Arabic and I can't understand anything about Arabic. So sometimes I want to buy something it's difficult. You can't communicate with people at the shops. They can't understand you and you can't understand them. Sometimes you want to do some things. There was a day that was very frustrating for me where um, there are some government documentation that I needed to do, but I didn't know how to go about it. I went to the office, I couldn't, I couldn't see anyone to, 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 to talk with about it. I have not seen any of the officials. When I was able to finally see the officials, I, I was, there was a relief because the officials could speak English. But everyone else apart from the officials could not give me directions. I, I, I can be asking for somewhere that is just very close, but everybody I'm seeing on the street to ask, okay, this is where I'm going to, can you help me locate it? They don't even understand what I'm saying. I'm picking English and they don't understand. And sometimes I have to, uh, there was a time I had to spend money over something that I could have just done online. I could have just accessed the website online and done it online, but I had to go to someone, paid money for them to get, it was a business, it was a business center for them to print out a document for me that I could have just filled online if only I knew how to do it if only if only someone had told me if only they could have just told me okay it's something that you can do online maybe they were, they were trying to communicate with me i could not understand so they just had to do it for me and i paid money for it i wasn't happy paying that money so language was really a big issue if i must tell you the truth language was a big issue right now i don't know how how it's got very easy maybe because i can understand a little arabic so we can just communicate and and i think more people are beginning to understand english also so Either they know little English or they know English or the little Arabic I can understand. So we get to communicate. But starting off two years ago, it wasn't very easy at all. It wasn't very easy. That's it. And um, the food would have been another challenge. The kind of the food that they have here would have been another challenge. If, but I had friends who had already told me, this is what you need to bring. This is what... Um, we don't have here. So I knew, okay, I can get one, two, three here in Saudi Arabia and I'll have to come with one, two, three from Nigeria. So that also made it very easy for me to settle in. Apart from that, something else again would have been, okay, um, knowing where to buy what. Because mm. I can tell you that till now, there are things I really want to get. 
I don't know where to find them in the city. Or maybe if I if I know where to find them, I will not know where to get the best deals. Okay. I'm going to find out some of them. I can't. So shopping in Nigeria, shopping in Portacourt is very easy. I have been in Portacourt all my life. So I know exactly what I want. I know where to get it. I know where to get the best prices, the best deals. But being in a new environment, you have to start learning. Okay, this is where I can get this. Have to ask someone sometimes you just stumble on it sometimes you just have to ask questions online and someone with someone will direct you to somewhere and but we've also been able to manage that i think that's part of the fun right <laughs> like when someone like yeah that's part of it yeah so i think it's good like you know of course you won't learn it all in one day but it's part of the the journey i think that's awesome yeah <laughs> and you brought up lots of great points and i feel like you know many people, many immigrants can kind of relate to that. Like what you said when you first came, obviously you're away from your, your wife and your son, you know, same with my dad, when he came, you know, it took like maybe four or five years before we were able to come over. And I know for many people, they kind of have a similar situation where like they're away from their, their spouse and their kids. And I can, I can only imagine how painful that would be, you know, but back then, you know, they didn't have what we have as far as like FaceTime, WhatsApp and all these other like ways to communicate they had to like send send letters and and, and travel home which of course is not always convenient and everything so you know i think you know thank goodness for social media and everything at least it makes it a little bit easy but you know there's nothing like being together with your family so thank you for sharing that um yeah go ahead and did you have something else you want to say I said, made, um, social media made it, makes it a lot more easy. Even we connect, connect, apart from just connecting with family, connecting with the community. So mm. I, I can still see what's happening in Portacourt from Facebook. Right. I can actually share my thoughts, still contribute to conversations happening in hometown. And oh yeah. I think it makes it easy. I can just imagine that how it would have been if this was happening in 1985. Right. And I need to send letters home. Even they won't know if I have arrived or not. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to get here. Then they'll just hoping that he has arrived. Yeah. Until maybe after two weeks to one month, mm-hmm. they get a letter from me and they have to read it, understand, then send another letter which may get back to me in the next two months, maybe. Right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's terrible. <laughs> Wow. I don't know how they coped. Really, I don't know how right. our parents coped, but I know. I guess they were born for that generation. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, Andrew, you actually said something that's very powerful, and we're going to discuss a little bit more later. You mentioned, uh, um, you know, this notion or this sense of community, which obviously is extremely important, uh, both, you know, while you're abroad and, of course, back home. And, you know, again, the beauty of social media, being able to still have that feeling that you're still connected like even you and i that's how we connected you know when i traveled to nigeria for you know for the first time you know my adult life i when i came back obviously i really wanted to connect with people back home and kind of learn more about nigeria for myself as you know as a 21 year old as of that time so you know so what you said is it it resonates with me i understand the the desire to want to connect with people back home even while you're away from home. But in your case, obviously you grew up back home, so it's a little bit different than, you know, in my case, I came here as a kid. So, but yeah, I, I love all that. We'll discuss that a little bit more later. Um, but Indu, can you just tell us, um, you know, obviously Nigeria and Saudi Arabia, there may be some similarities in, in some sense um, with some things, but can you tell us like 
what are some of the cultural differences that you've encountered and has any surprised you? More than just um, cultural differences, like let's just look at the differences and the similarities. I would say that to a very large extent, Saudi Arabia is like Northern Nigeria. So I lived in um, Kano, Nigeria in 2014 to 2015. And I lived in Katsina in 2000, from 2015 till 2016. So I can really tell you that Kano is more, um, Saudi Arabia is more or less like Northern Nigeria. The religion, the culture, they have a lot of similarities, even the weather. The weather, the, everything just seems really beautiful. Like they seem the same, you see. The first time I got to Saudi Arabia, I had to live in a place called Sehat, very close to Damam. And Sehat looks, looks so much like Abuja. You can be in Sehat and you think that you're in Abuja. With the only difference being that um, Saudi Arabia looks a little more organized, just much more organized than Abuja is, much more organized than Northern Nigeria is. But as per culture, as per, as per practices, as per everything else, Saudi Arabia is more or less like Northern Nigeria. Um, the weather, the kind of houses they build, the way the streets are and everything, maybe a little, much more organized, much more organized, but it looks more or less like Northern Nigeria. I can tell you that for free. And um, also, we one other thing that surprised me here is the fact that in Saudi Arabia, the private sector, like private businesses, like offices, have this break in the middle of the day. You go to work. Okay, we work. Most of the, most of the um, organizations will work eight hours a day. Like you have eight hours shifts, but we can do two hours in the morning and six hours in the night. So between 12 p.m. and 3 p.m., many offices may be closed, except for maybe banks and government barrister towns. But we, every other private sector business will have to have that break where they are closed. You see, shops are short, except for maybe shops that have a um, kind of shift, but most businesses will be closed within that time. And it's not just um, a culture, like a practice. It's, there are government laws. There is um, a government law that that forbids anyone from walking on that direct sun, because the sun is usually very heavy, and, and um, you can have... UV index of eight and above up to 13 sometimes. So between 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 um, June and September, there is actually a government law that prohibits anyone walking, walking under the sun. Like if your staff should report that you made him to walk under the sun, to walk under the sun between this time you may be charged heavy fines and really your organization will be penalized. 
So with, with, with that in view, you get to see that even apart from work, the people don't come out in the afternoon because the sun is really very much, except it's really very necessary. Most people are indoors in the afternoon because of the sun. That makes nightlife a different kind of life altogether. So we are out there in the mornings before the sun is heavily out and we are back to work in the evening. So in the evening, we may have to work up to 10 p.m. At 11 p.m., 12 p.m., uh, 12 a.m., you may still see people outside. You may still see that the town is beautiful. People are going about their businesses. Um, offices are still getting patronage, you know. We have some bit of nightlife to compensate for the midday when there is little business. And I think that has to do with, do with the sun. I, I have to come to that notion that it has to do with the sun because of the government law that prohibits people from working under the sun, the direct sunlight between June and September. I think June 15 to September 15. You don't have any business putting out anybody to work under the sun for you. So also it affects other businesses like we can't open at, that, at those times. For me, that's not what we are used to. We are used to going to work in the morning, coming back in the evening. Now, you are being told that you're going to work two hours in the morning, then you go home, sleep, have your rest, and come back in the evening to do six hours. Mm, it looks beautiful because you have a time to rest between the times, but also some, some persons would like to just do their shift and know that, okay, I'm done for the day. That's a change that we had to adjust to. I had to adjust to. Then also getting to see that in Nigeria we have our week running from Friday from Monday till our weekdays running from Monday till Friday. Then we have weekend on Saturday and Sunday. But here we have our weekdays running from Sunday till Thursday. Then we have weekends on Friday and Saturday. So sometimes on Sunday, I don't even know it's Sunday. <laughs> Until like maybe I go to Facebook and I see people posting Happy Sunday. I say, oh, today is Sunday. You can actually just lose track of what day of the week. Because Friday would like Friday will look like a Sunday. And a Sunday will be looking like a Monday. So that's also an adjustment that we have to make in our heads. Sometimes you just have to check your calendar to track what day of the week we are in. Because from where then what's the interesting in this place yeah I, I also say that um the saudis saudi arabia generally not just the saudis the community here seem to be more should i say more traditionally bond together mm. like just like what we have back home right. even though um i don't know would i say everybody seems distant Everybody appears to be distant, but still there are some cultural values that are still there, you know, and people look out for each other. And Saudi feels like one of the safest places to be in the world. Mm. Really. I feel wow. safe. I feel safer here than in Portacot. I can tell you that any time any day. And I've spoken with I I don't think there is um, anybody living here who is not a Saudi. Who has told me that they feel safer in their home country Saudi Arabia? Out with Americans, Europeans, and everyone feels safer here. Like 
you can you can literally just leave everything you have outside and be sure that it's going to come back. It's going to be there by the time you come back. Mm. A friend of mine had an experience where he had come back home and he, he forgot his wallet, his mobile phone on his car and went in. After some hours, he had to remember that ah, he's not with his phone. By the time he went out, a police car was parked close to his car and they had seen that there and were waiting for him to come out. Wow. <laughs> they, they didn't go anywhere. When he came to pick it up, they told him that they had been waiting for him. They had to confirm that they are his and he just took them and no one bothered him. He just, they just needed to confirm that they are his. And you, so you, you feel really safe. You feel right. really safe moving around. You feel really safe with your possessions. You don't feel afraid. And something happened recently. We we are a bit negligent with our child, Asha. So Asha left the house. Asha left home without our knowledge. And we couldn't find Asha. He had opened the door and he has left. By the time we started looking for him, we didn't know where he was. We were just driving around the neighborhood trying to see if we could find him. And we're not making progress until suddenly we were driving past and we saw a bicycle, a bike was just passing us. I looked and I saw my son on that bike. I had to park, tell his mom, we went to get him. And we saw that someone had seen him and picked him up, put him on that bicycle and was driving around just in case he may see his parents. Someone had done that. Wow. Yeah, he could not he could not understand English, Asha could not understand Arabic. Right. So they couldn't communicate, but he, he knew. And the guy happens to be a Sudanese. So I guess he's black, he has another black child. Maybe he's thinking this child will be an African, maybe a Sudanese, and he just wanted to, to look out for him. Wow, that's amazing. That was beautiful. And he refused to accept any kind of um any 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 kind of payment or he said no no that no, he's fine he just he just felt he should help out yeah. and yeah we were very grateful we were, mm. we were just really very grateful and yeah. it's not just that single experience i think people in saudi arabia kind of look out i'm not saying everything in saudi arabia is perfect but right. to a very good extent and when it comes to feeling safe feeling safe I think Saudi Arabia is the safest place in the world. I've not been to everywhere in the world, but right. I just <laughs> make that happen. Right. Yeah, thanks, Indira. Man, no, wow, that that's that's powerful. I'm, I'm happy that you know, obviously, you're able to retrieve your son and everything. Um, and I know a big part of your brand and everything that you do for uh, couples and you know, families and everything, you want to counsel them and talk to them about different things they may be going through. So, with that in mind. Um, I know raising raising a young family in a new country can be both exciting and challenging. So can you, I know you've kind of given us a few examples, but can you share some of your experiences, um, you know, with, with, you know, with your young family and in a new country and any lessons that you learned along the way? You know, <laughs> I often say that uh, when marriages move, like I, I often say that every marriage, every family is immersed in the culture. You know, so what's happening in the families, what's happening in the in the marriage, 
is being affected by the culture that surrounds it. The cultures kind of have a way of seeping into, seeping into um, the family, the marriage. And that's why when people migrate from one culture to another, there is that culture shift that can actually shake their marriages and make things really difficult, you know, maybe very inconvenient for them. And But I think Saudi is a bit different because Saudi is a much more traditional place. Like Saudi is, should I say old school? <laughs> and in a very good way. Saudi is quite traditional. Saudi is a place where family is really valued and uh, the man is still the head of the home. That's what I mean by traditional. So mm -hmm. for us, there's similarity with what our African culture, the Arabic culture has quite some similarities with our, with our African culture. So it's, it's not even like there is a transplant. There is, a, there, is, there is no real cultural shift when we talk about um, family. There is no real cultural shift. The way families are running in Africa is the way it's run here. But I even think Saudi is more traditional than Southern Nigeria. It's, it's closer to what we have in Northern Nigeria, but I think Saudi is more traditional than what we have in Southern Nigeria. So. I think it's beautiful here. The, as a man, you're the head of your family. So I think maybe I will love it more here. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. <laughs> maybe it may just be my, may just be my, my bias. Okay, okay. May I just understand. be my bias. Okay. Okay. Um, so pretty much you would say that it's almost like there's no real difference so far from what you've seen. Yeah. Okay, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so kind of in that same kind of notion with family, I know, and I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, like moving to a new country, just because you're a new country doesn't mean that you stop being, you know, who you are as far as your cultures and traditions. I mean, of course, there are some people that might try their best to kind of get away from that. But, you know, I would just kind of love to know, are there any ways that you've, you and your family have tried to kind of maintain some cultural aspects, um, especially with, you know, raising your son or anything like that so far? Hmm. I would say, personally, I am not like full-blown traditional. Okay. I'm not full-blown traditional. And um, I can be very malleable, like, like I can be very dynamic. Let me say dynamic here. Dynamic is, should be the word for it. I can be very dynamic. I want to fit in when it's really necessary to fit in. I want to make adjustments when it's really necessary to make adjustments. So I would not say that I have really found anything. First of all, nobody is stopping you from living the kind of life you want to live, raising the family the way you want to raise. Nobody's really interfering how you want to do your thing as a family. So, and Nigeria have different cultures, even though they are similar. I am Igbo, my wife is Oboni from River State. So, we have these differences in cultures, slight difference, we have differences in culture. So, 
what culture is my son going to adopt? What culture am I going to teach him? Mm. Except for the values, like, okay, these are things we respect as a people, as a culture. And I'm also very intentional about knowing that it's not really about my culture per se or the mother's culture. It's about we as a family having our own culture, which will be a fusion of her culture, my culture, and um, a little bit of adjustments to fit in to fit it into what we have in present in, in, in a present day world and how we are able to adapt to whatever environment we find ourselves. So in as much as I would love my son to speak evil, I would have loved him to speak evil, but how the I don't I, I manage to speak evil to him, but I don't see him getting to understand to speak evil because the mom can't speak evil. Neither can she speak her own local dialect, Ogoni. So we end up speaking English at home, and English is like our lingua franca. Even though I would have loved him to speak Igbo, really, but we can't do that. Then we have to cultivate the habit of praying as a family. There are no real organized communities of Nigerians, Igbos, like we have in other parts of the world. Right. So it's just what we can do as a family. And you said something perfect. I was actually going to ask you that next because I know, you know, again, I don't know too much about Saudi Arabia, um, but I was assuming that maybe there's not a very big Nigerian diaspora there. But yeah, what you said is exactly spot on. I was thinking maybe if there's any organizations where you guys can join and maybe there's like function you can attend, um, but maybe you're not aware of that yet or is there nothing like that? Maybe I'm not aware of that yet, but I don't think there is, I don't know. Let me not say there is not, but I'm not I'm not aware of anyone. And I think um, that's because many persons who are living in Saudi Arabia are more like um, are more of expatriates than than immigrants. Okay. So many persons who are moving to Saudi Arabia are moving to Saudi Arabia strictly for work. Okay. You're here to work and at some point, you you know that you're going to leave. It's not like um, you're going to some Western countries where you know, okay, after staying for a while, I may get permanent residence. Then I'm going to live here and raise my family, and we're going to be here forever. So, the 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 present the present um, atmosphere in Saudi Arabia is there are citizens and there are expatriates. So the expatriates are just coming here like for work, not like they're immigrating to remain here permanently. So even though there are do- the, the government is opening channels now for people to to become um, to become citizens, so to become permanent residents, citizens, and all that, but it's just very new, and the, proce- the processes are not very. Um, nobody, no, no one really understands the process and not a lot of persons have been able to go through that process. So most of the people who are living here are thinking at some point, if I stay here for 10 years, maybe 20 years, maybe 30 years, at some point I will have to leave. I'm just here because of my job. Whenever the company does not need me anymore, I may have to leave. So people are making arrangements to leave. So I think in that atmosphere, you will not be thinking about having an association to 
may not really be the biggest thing in anybody's mind, really. I'm oh. just thinking. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I didn't think of it in that way. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so Andrew, what about like the food? Because I know that's a big part of culture. I mean, I know you said some things might not really make the most sense in the context, but food, how about like certain TV shows or movies, like Nigerian movies? Do you share that with your son? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> For now, um, we do Netflix. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes, exactly. Yes. We do Netflix. So we're able to see. Really, I'm not a very, I'm, I'm not a TV person. I'm, I've never been a TV person. That doesn't mean that if my wife is seeing a movie with my son and I get into a sitting room, I'll just sit with them and see the movie but i'm not that person who will like just sit down and maybe if the movie gets very popular and everybody's talking about it i say okay let me go and see it right so that aspect is also not related for me as a person and for us as a family they're just three of us yes 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 but the food <laughs> he, he, he eats the food very well he but, enjoys the nigerian yeah i eat nigerian food here we eat, we eat, we have to cook. Even before they came, I cook Nigerian food and I eat Nigerian food. But that doesn't mean that I don't also eat the food that they have here. But the food is not very spicy, you know? Okay. <laughs> so you, you, you may not really be able to do very well with it. Till now, my wife cannot eat rice here. Really? She cannot eat rice here because it's not spicy. Like, and she, she she says, I don't know how it tastes, but she says that it has a lot of garlic in it. Oh, okay. That's that's her now. For me, I remember the very first time I came here, I was just coming in and uh, they bought me food. I couldn't eat that food. <laughs> it took me about three days of having to refrigerate, then microwave to eat. I would just have to cook other food and try to mix it up to see how I can eat it. Right. But right now... I can eat it, I can have fun with it, but if I really want to eat, right. if I'm really hungry, <laughs> I think I have to do, maybe, maybe I have to pour some some more spice to it. I have to, yeah. have to bring that ashe. Exactly. <laughs> I have to pop a pen to it exactly. to be able to enjoy it. Yeah. Wow. And then you said something like this very powerful, because I, like I said, I didn't think about this in that way until you said it. Like for people who maybe are in the U.S. or any other country that there's a bigger diaspora, for them, once they get there, they're looking to find the nearest community, you know, yeah. for their country. They are establishing their roots, so they're maintaining some of those cultural heritages. But in your case, being that you mentioned many people who are in Saudi Arabia are kind mm -hmm. of like transient somehow, maybe the, the it's not as important maybe because they're just trying to work or do what they need to do before going to wherever the next place is. So that was pretty powerful point um yes do you care to say anything else about that or yeah but that's just really direct because if you are coming to a place and you're planning to stay you have um, a long-term plan maybe your your kids are going to continue here mm -hmm. then you'll be thinking about having a community trying to understand to, to to have your roots here and all that but many persons who are in saudi arabia i can tell you that for sure are not thinking about their kids staying here. A lot of persons live here and work here. First of all, you can't even, you can't, many persons will not just say, I'm going to Saudi Arabia to live in Saudi Arabia. You're coming to Saudi Arabia mainly because you have a job. 
a job is bringing you down here. So you came here to work, not necessarily to, to, to remain here permanently. Yeah, some people get visas to come here and do business. Okay, so if you have a business, maybe you you will start thinking about staying here permanently. But if you have a job, it's your stay is attached to the job that you have. So if you are no longer working, there is nothing else you're doing here. You want to leave. Even though personally I love the place and I would love to stay in Saudi Arabia, like I would love my kids to remain here in Saudi Arabia and just have a life here in Saudi Arabia, but it doesn't seem like something that is really, um, really, I don't know what word to use, but it doesn't look like something that, that, that just comes on a platter, like it, that is very easy for you to access, for you to navigate. So if you are thinking the highest I'm going to stay here is 30 years. And that's that a long time. <laughs> 30, 30 years is a long time. Very long. Yeah, 30 years is yeah. quite long. But really, some persons want to stay here and have a family in Nigeria, have a family wherever they are. So I know persons who have been here for 25 years, 30 years, and they, they are still planning that they are, they are still building um, their family back home, knowing that they are going back home. Right. So at that point, um, I don't think you want to be thinking about having and an association of your company. What, what do you really want to achieve, right? Maybe you can have that and just share values, encourage each other while you work here and just just to make yourself feel at home mm-hmm. while you work. But I don't think that is what anybody who knows that their stay in Saudi Arabia is um, transient, wants to do. Right. Maybe no. if we're, we're planning to stay here permanently. Right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Gendo, I mean, all these questions are kind of going in line with the same thing, which is the sense of like identity and belonging and everything. And I know that's obviously important um, for immigrants, especially, but for anyone really, like when you're in a new environment, whether it's a new um, city or a new country or just, you know, in your case, obviously a new country, a new culture, like how do you? find maybe or identify maybe how you belong in your new place and what your identity is like how can you can you speak to that a little bit yeah i think i've already talked about that already that here right you know that you're an expatriate you know that you're an expatriate so and being an expatriate you it's like you are a pilgrim Mm. at some point you're going to leave so you have your home in mind you know but that aside, Saudi Arabia seems like a place that is very welcoming. You get to see different nationalities. Like, um, it's not like okay, you know, um, when you are in Nigeria and someone asks you, people hardly ask you where are you from in Nigeria. You mm-hmm. hardly get to see somebody asking you where are you from. And if they ask you where are you from, they're asking you what states you're from or right. what tribe you yeah i am Igbo, hausa yoruba so someone may not even want to ask you that because they may already know where you're from before yeah by your name or something yes by your name or something yeah but here in saudi arabia anybody who sees you want to ask you where you're from because you don't even 
you may not be able to predict where the next person sitting close to you is from. I have seen people who I would think are Saudis. But when they ask me, where are you from? I say, I am Nigerian. They say, wow, mashallah, Nigeria. I am your sister. <laughs> I say, oh, really? Yes. That um, they are, oh, two persons have told me, I am your sister. And I would be looking. They say, yeah, I'm from Morocco. Wow. You know, so you get to see Moroccans, you get to see Egyptians, you get to see um, Filipinos, Indians, Pakistanis, and we all live together, we all work together. Um, Yemenis, you get to see just people from every part of uh, Americans, Europeans. You just, you know, I've not seen a Chinese person in Saudi Arabia. I know there will be, but I've never encountered the Chinese. And that's about the only nationality I've not seen in Saudi Arabia. But from that, Saudi Arabia seems to be like a melting pot of different nationalities. Yeah. And you feel like, you kind of feel like you belong because mm-hmm. different persons have different ideas, different experiences. But for me, I think it has been a beautiful experience. Maybe because, um, maybe because most of who you encounter will also be expatriates. Right. And also because there are black Saudis, there are Saudis, there are Saudis who are black. Mm-hmm. So some people just get in. They are Saudi. When they see you, they speak Arabic to me. You know, either they, either they think I am Saudi or they think I am Sudan. Okay. I'm from Sudan. Because Sudanese speak Arabic, very fluent Arabic. So when mm-hmm. they see me, Nigeria does not come to mind. They either think that I am Sudanese or they think I am Saudi. <laughs> <laughs> they really think they really think I'm Saudi. So and so it's 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 not very easy for people to just profile you and maybe want to not treat you well. Yeah, I've had maybe one or two um not very good experiences, but on on a very large extent, I think Saudis are very accepting. They are very welcoming. They're very welcoming. The only issue I have with um Saudis once I work with I have just one issue with them, which is they must give you food. <laughs> nice. That's good. If you work with them, you must eat their food. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's something cultural for them. If you're working with a yeah. Saudi, he wants to buy you food. He wants to, he or she wants to come with food from home and they want to invite you to eat with them. They want to offer mm. you, whatever. The one that's the one that does not bring food from home to offer you will buy food for you at work, will buy snacks for you at work. Whatever they go to buy, they want to buy for you. They want to they want nice. to make you feel welcome, make you feel like, yes, you, you, are, you are together with us. So, and really, I'm not really a food person. And when you don't accept all these gifts from them, they don't yeah. really feel happy. They feel like yeah. you're rejecting them. So I'll say, ah, ah. And something else is, when you offer them your own food, they may not want to eat. They may not want to take it from you. But they want to give it to you. But they want, they want to give to you. So ah, a friend of mine had an experience where he said they have been bringing food to him every time. So, and he, he, he wanted them to stop bringing food to him. So what he did was he brought his own food 
and offered them food and they said no his colleagues in the office since they, they didn't take his food he told them okay since you don't want to take my food that means i will, I will not also accept your own food and that was the end of food. <laughs> <laughs> just they stopped giving him food but apart from the saudi food like the ones that, that are not really comfortable eating although i eat some of them right now initially i couldn't eat them that was the reason i didn't have to i, I didn't i couldn't accept those food i know I, i i'm not very familiar with eating them i prefer uh food which is very pepperish very spicy right so but you can't refuse the snacks that they will buy for you so those ones i just have to accept <laughs> that but i think it's just their way of saying you are accepted you're, you're welcome. welcome yeah yeah and initially when they ask you where are you from i used to feel off- i used to feel offended i used to feel like someone wants to profile me mm. you know they just know how to but later on i got to understand that they sincerely want to meet you especially because they speak english and you did not respond uh, they speak they speak arabic to you and you did not respond in arabic so they know okay especially it's not saudi it's not sudanese so they really genuinely want to know where you are from yeah yeah even though i've had people who ask me where i am from and it didn't feel like they were asking for a very good reason mm-hmm. like that person was not saudi i think would have been um uh in bangladeshi or or uh be pakistani okay i went to buy something from this shop and the guy was asking me where are you from i said i'm nigerian he looked at me oh really nigerian then he looked at the wristwatch i was wearing he asked me what's the brand of the wristwatch i told him he asked me is it um the original one wow that's an inappropriate question <laughs> like, I, I i don't understand like why are you asking me that then he looked at my phone I think maybe he would have he would have wanted to ask me if it's also an original iPhone. I was offended but I didn't show it. I just smiled and I walked away. You know. Mm. So that was actually him trying to profile maybe maybe because I'm black and he's thinking what kind of job is he doing? They asked me uh, what job do you do? Mm. Then there was wow. also another time that someone this was a this was a Filipino. I went to this shop to to service my car and he was asking me where are you from i said i'm nigerian i said okay nigerian what do you do optometrist said okay um what's your salary oh my gosh really <laughs> yes <laughs> how that take like, how does that how what does that have to do with servicing my car exactly like you think i am not um like No no no. <laughs> I didn't really feel happy having to answer those questions then. This one happens today. And this is the first time that a policeman will stop me and ask for my ID. It has never happened before. Each time I am stopped when they ask me where are you from I say I'm Nigeria I say oh Nigeria good country good country. You know. <laughs> But today he was already asking me to get my ID. Before he asked me where are you from, I said I'm Nigeria. He said, "Oh, good country," but still, he wanted to see my ID. And I passed him my ID. He looked at it. He asked me, "What do you do?" I told him. 
she said, oh, you are a big guy. You're driving a small car. <laughs> <laughs> so really, uh, maybe he's, he's expecting that if you're an optometrist, this is the kind of car you're supposed to be driving. Yeah. You know, so different persons have different expectations. That's true. But generally, I would say it's really a, a welcoming environment. You, you feel respected. I don't know about anyone else, but people have different experiences about about um about the Arab world. Mm. But I think my experience, I've I've really felt respected by the people I work with, by the people I work for, and I I really felt accepted here. I love that. You know, I love that. Of the curriculum. I enjoy my work here and my stay. Awesome. Yeah, and I love that. And I, I think one thing that you said that I can pick on is about that. It's really just that immigrant experience that we all kind of, you know, experience at different points. At that question of, you know, where are you from? Like even now, you know, in my childhood, in my uh, earlier, um, my early twenties, and you know, even at this point, when I, when I'm when I'm asked that question. Like for immigrants who are living in the diaspora, you know, it just triggers a few things. Like, are you asking me that question because you want yeah. to know where my name is from? Like, or if there's an accent, like, why are you like all those things that you kind of felt like, why are you asking this question? For me, I typically don't have an issue answering. Um, and and I guess to go back to the question, like how that identity or that sense of identity changes or evolves over time. When I was younger, I would always say I'm Nigerian, which of course is still true today. I always still say that. But as I've gotten older, like it depends. Like I might answer, oh, I'm, you know, my family, you know, we're from Nigeria originally, but I've grown up my whole life here. You know, again, just kind of depending on why the person is asking or how I'm feeling about that person and their maybe their intent. But yeah, that's it's a really good question. Like, you know, being asked where you're from as an immigrant, it kind of makes you think about like it makes you think, okay, where am I from? Am I from, you know, should I tell you my, my hometown? Should I tell you my home state, my country, where I lived? Like it, it brings lots of questions. So, mm. so thanks, thanks for sharing that, Indu. And I know I know you've kind of given us, um, you know, a little bit about some of your interactions with, you know, the Saudi people and other people that you've seen so far. But can you tell us, have there been any uh, recently that you can say have been particularly meaningful or interesting? Any exchanges? Yeah. Like, like, like I talked about the idea of giving food, you know, I think um, that's really beautiful. That's really, that's really beautiful. It's, I, and it feels really welcome. Yeah. But then also there's this experience where I was talking with um, this South lady who I work with. So we get to talk about Saudi Arabia and Nigeria. I think she, she, she really admires, she really wants to visit Nigeria. You know, she she's visiting different countries and she's thinking maybe she should visit Nigeria and all that. But one thing she told me that really st- struck is that in Saudi Arabia they also pay dowry, like just like we pay dowry in Nigeria when when you want to get married. But in Saudi Arabia, the dowry is not paid to the girl's father. The dowry is paid to the lady herself. So, if you want to marry a Saudi lady, you have to pay her. 
you have to pay dowry to her directly. She's the one eating her money by herself. You know? <laughs> I, I, I shared this with our Nigerian community and some persons we are just saying, wow, that some ladies we are saying that they want to marry in Saudi Arabia, you know, because they want to have their money <laughs> with themselves. <laughs> you want to receive your own dowry because <laughs> if you're going to see Shege in the marriage, let it be that you are taking money for <laughs> you are seeing the shake for the money that you collected like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but i think it's it's something different from what we have in nigeria where the i think that they they are exactly like northern nigeria where in northern nigeria the girls family make a lot of investments into her her wedding and her marriage you know mm. but in southern nigeria the man has to pay dowry to the parents to the family and all that Especially in Igbo land, but here you have to pay to the lady. And she told me that um, the the price is between um, thirty thousand to fifty thousand Saudi reals. That's like um, around um, eight thousand to fourteen thousand US dollars. Wow! So you know, so to the lady, she can choose to give you a discount. <laughs> She can choose to maybe take something a bit lower, or maybe if you have so much money, she can choose to make it a bit higher. And you still have to fund the wedding and all that. So I think it's it's something different from what we are used to. Um, that's that's the Saudi side. And I also had to talk with um a, an Indian guy who told me that he got married and he never saw his wife till they got married. Interesting. I saw his wife, like, not even um, a video call. In fact, he never had her phone number till till it was close to that. Till they, they were already planning the wedding. So his parents made all the arrangements, talked with the lady's family, they made an arrangement. Every time that he spoke to her, he spoke to her through um, the mobile phone of one of her siblings. She has a phone, but he never had her phone number directly. He spoke to her through other people until it was time for the wedding planning. They had to speak on the phone. He got her phone number. They spoke on the phone to plan the wedding together. But he never saw her, not even with, not, not even on FaceTime. He never got to see until the day of the wedding. He said he got into the room. Everyone was greeting him. Just from the voice, he knew this is the lady. And he got married. So that's also something really different from what we are used to in Nigeria, where you know we are almost Western now. You get to meet the person first, talk with the person, and you're the one taking the person to your parents. You know, so I think over there in India they have um they they still have this traditional way where the parents still still make arrangements for the weddings and I think it brings some some rich traditional views to what marriage is. And like I said, we have different cultures here at the same time and we're all surviving, we are all living together and that's beautiful. <laughs> all right. I love that Indu. Thank you so much. And I know um you've shared lots of great stuff during our chat together. And I know obviously you can't speak for your wife, you know, her experience so far, but if you could say, you know, 
overall the experience so far, I know it's only been like about two years for you and maybe for your wife, maybe like a few, your wife and your son, maybe like a few months or so. Um, but has, how, how would you describe the overall experience? Is there anything that, anything that's surprising that you can share? I mean, I, mean, I know you're still trying to be mindful of certain things, but mm. anything that you can share that's been about the experience so far? No, really, there is really nothing I can say is really a big deal than just saying that it's a beautiful experience. Okay, something else again that I, I can say is so that this is how, how this is the official Saudi dress. So as I see me now, I'm, I'm yeah. an official Saudi dress. <laughs> this is like the official Saudi dressing. And uh, so when you go to banks, you don't go to banks and see people who are wearing suit and a tie. And mm-hmm. this is what you see in the banks. This okay. Is, what is it called? Sure. What's the dressing called? The style? I don't know what it's called, but I know that this 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 is called tall, tall, like some T H A W B. Okay. So this is top, and this is the kafir. The kafir. This, nice. this cap is kafir, and this is the igar. You know. So this is traditional Saudi. Most of the men you're going to see on the streets. Mm-hmm. Addressed in their top, they may not have the kafir and the and the and the girl, but they have top on, and it's just like a normal dressing, and it's um, it's it's official, it's official, just like in northern Nigeria too. The kaftan is official. You can actually wear the kaftan to to work. It's official. So here also, if you're wearing this, if you're dressed this way, it's, a, it's like you're wearing this your suit, beautiful suit, and your tie, you know. So that's also a beautiful one. But I think my wife's experience has also been really great. Something else that I that I also saw here is that they don't have um okay, the mom is just beginning to have a bus system. If not before now, everyone in Saudi Arabia seems to have a car or at least can afford a taxi. <laughs> so, we don't have buses. You either have most people will have a car, or you just ha- um, do Uber. But now we are be- we are going to have a bus. I've never had to board the bus, even though it's also quite new. I don't. I, I think it's less than one year or maybe less than two years that the bus system began to come on. So, it's not mm. something that I'm used to. But before now, in this town, in we don't have metro bus. We don't have metro bus, so and it's just it's just pretty cool. As against what we have, we have to take the buses, very catchy buses and all that. But I think it's cool here. Yeah, that's something <laughs> I can say. And I, and I can also say that um, the people here are more religious tolerant. Than what we have in oh. Nigeria. That's another surprise to me. <laughs> yeah. I've said that many times. They are, they are, they are, they are far, far more religious tolerant. Maybe because this is, maybe because the um there is no direct threats like they know that you're, you're not a threat to their religion. Mm. You're here to walk and you're doing your thing. Maybe because. People in Nigeria feel okay. 
um, there is this divide between Christians and Muslims. I don't know, maybe that's, but here I think they are, they are more tolerant than what we have in Nigeria. There are things that happen here. Okay, I have a personal experience. I think I've shared this, this, this with you before now, where um, it was during Ramadan, I'm not supposed to eat in public during Ramadan. They know you may not be fasting. They know you, you may not be a, you may not be a, a Muslim. A Muslim. So, but even if you're going to eat, you should not eat in public, and everybody knows that. So there was a day that I kind of I wasn't I wasn't just a, myself. Like I lost thoughts about where I was, what was happening. I didn't even remember that this was Ramadan. I was eating in public. Someone just came there and he had to remind me, do you realize that everybody around you here are Muslims? I quickly woke to the woke up to the realization that and I, and I apologized. He said, no, no, no. He, he, he just knew that something was wrong. I said, yeah, I, I didn't think about it. And I apologized and they were happy. They just shook my hand. I said, no, that's no worry. They just cautioned me and that was all. Just not even cautioned, just reminded me and that was all. I've lived in Kano. I can tell you for free that if that was in Kano, they will not see it as a mistake. It will not be counted as a mistake. They will not, they may not want to even wait for me to apologize. They may not want to remind me, ah, see what you're doing. They may not want to. They may not want to. They may not, they may not be that patient. So I would say people here are more religious tolerant, very, very much more religious tolerant. And I don't know. I don't know what, what's that word to use for it, but I think generally, like I've said before, I feel much more safer here. I feel much safer in Saudi Arabia than I would feel in, okay, talk about religion now. I feel more safer in, I feel much safer in Saudi Arabia than I would feel in Canada. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's interesting. Thank you, Indu. I mean, we've covered so many things um, in this brief time. So I really do appreciate you, Indu. Just one final question, um, and then I'll give you opportunity to kind of let people know how they can connect with you. Um, I mean, I know, obviously, we don't know the future, but you know, I don't know how long you want to stay in Saudi Arabia or whatever your next steps are. But what would you say would be your hopes and aspirations for your family's journey at this time in Saudi Arabia? In Saudi Arabia, I want to do my work. I want to advance in my work. And I hope that we can build our own business in Nigeria. And when my work here is done, I can retire back home. So for us, it's a time to really work, put funds together, start our businesses, get as much education as we can get. And retire home at some point. Yeah. Because even though we would have loved to remain here permanently and have our kids grow up here and also, you know, contribute to the life here in Saudi Arabia, that doesn't seem like um, a very open direction, a very open path for our family. So okay. what we want to do is live here, 
do the best we can do to be part of the, what is happening here, learn everything we can learn, and implement back home. No, because Nigeria is, is, is really beautiful if um, you have your own business or yeah. if you are a politician. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, I don't have any interest of being a politician. I think I should uh, build a business. So that, okay. Yeah, if you have a business, you can really enjoy living in Nigeria and all that. Right. Actually, Indu, before I let before I let you um, share your contact information, uh, one important question I forgot to ask you. I know you covered it obviously at different points in our chat today, but for the person who is watching and maybe wants to take this same journey as far as like going to Saudi Arabia, what are maybe like five key things you want them to know like about the process and just overall like how they can be successful and everything they might want to do as far as that. Okay, so really. Um there are different opportunities in Saudi Arabia. There are, there are, there are really beautiful job opportunities in, in healthcare, especially in healthcare, in health, in healthcare, in, in engineering, in, in tech. There are really beautiful opportunities. So you can just um, get on LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn, um, start applying for jobs in Saudi Arabia. You get to see the wages, you get to see what's really, if you're working in Saudi Arabia, you will enjoy working in Saudi Arabia. One thing you just have to, okay, there's, there's one part of living in Saudi Arabia that um, that should not be a shock to anyone. It may not truly really sound good, but I think um, there's a reason for that, okay? As the way it is in Saudi Arabia right now, I'm working in Saudi Arabia, I cannot wake up tomorrow, book a flight, and start heading out of Saudi Arabia. Not, it's not very, it's not possible. It's not possible. You can't just wake up and say you want to leave. Yeah. So you have a sponsor who you are attached to. That is your employer. Your employer will have to assent to your leaving. Yeah. So. You have to get an exit visa for you to leave Saudi Arabia if you are here as an expatriate. If you're on visit visa, that's a different bargain. But if you're here as an expatriate, you can't just wake up and say you want to leave. Your, your sponsor will have to know, your employer will have to know that you're leaving. That doesn't mean that if you want to leave, your sponsor will say you cannot leave. No, that, 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 that is not, that's not what it means. What it means is that you cannot live without their knowledge. So if you say you want to leave and the, the, your sponsor says no, then you just have to, then they, if you tender your resignation within um, two months to the day you want to leave, you can approach the, the, the Ministry of Labor and they'll process that for you. So what I think this is, um, this makes our community also safe in Saudi Arabia, because I can imagine that someone is working here and person does something bad, and before anybody would realize what he has done, he's already out of the country. It doesn't make sense. So it's, 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 it's I think it's beautiful that if you are living, the people who you are working with will know that you are living. So they will know if you have done something and you're running away from something. 
So I think in that sense, it's really beautiful. But when you just look at it on face value, like um, I can't live without letting this person know that I'm leaving, then it may, it may have it may it may look some some it may have another look to it. But if you look at it from the point of we have to keep our community safe. There is a reason that many persons say they feel safe in Saudi Arabia. It is because it is actually safe. Okay? And I think one of the reasons that it is safe is because you can't just do anything and get away with it. You can't just do something now and say the next day you're on a flight out. No. Somebody will have to know that you're leaving. And if you know somebody will have to know you're leaving, you'll know that you can't just do anything and get away with it, I think. That's also a very beautiful aspect of life here in Saudi Arabia. That's I love. Yeah, that but that may that may be misunderstood. That's it. I don't think um, there is anything else. Okay. Thank you, Andu. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure. I know, you know, obviously we've talked <laughs> a lot about this and many other things. So um just want to give you a chance to let our uh viewers and our listeners know how they can connect with you and um, if they want to learn more and also to support, you know, everything else you're doing. So how can they connect with you? Okay. Facebook is the best place to meet. Just Facebook at drndudavid at drndudavid. Not just Facebook. I think that's, I use that same handle on virtually every social media. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I still use same on um, on TikTok, like everywhere. I use that same handle. My email address, ndudavid at gmail.com. Ndudavid at gmail.com. I think that's pretty beautiful. Hey, awesome. Thank you that's so much. Easy, right? Yeah, that's yes. perfect. Thank you so much, Ndu. Um, and we'll talk to you again soon. I hope we get to talk again very soon. Yes.
Hey there, family. Thank you once again for tuning in to today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation today. I would love to know what your thoughts are and any feedback that you may have on this particular episode, this particular topic. Please feel free to leave us a voice message or leave us a comment on our social media pages or our YouTube channel. Please follow the links in our bio on Instagram at Building Africa's Future to learn more about the many ways that you can support us, including purchasing t-shirts and hoodies and other merch that we may have. If you like the work that we do here and you would like to make a one-time or monthly contribution of a dollar or more, please visit our link tree. That is linked tree forward slash building Africa's future for additional ways to support. Thank you once again for listening. Thank you for sharing. Let's keep the conversation going. And as usual, I hope that you stay well. Thanks, Bad Family. Oh, thank you.